readers can sense when a writer understands what they're writing about on a level that's beyond the surface. And it feels that way. And, and it, this is just another way of saying, write what you know. But write what you know tends to be sort of reductive because people approach that from their own lives. And like, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't ever write about being a doctor. That's not really what it is. I say what that really should be is write with authority about whatever you're writing about. You are now listening to Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing with your host, John Robinson IV. Here we smash walls, demolish writer's blocks, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get it cracking. Charles So is an attorney-turned-writer from New York. He's known for books such as The Oracle Year, Anyone, and Star Wars The High Republic's The Light of the Jedi. He's also a writer of comics like the flagship Star Wars title, Darth Vader, Poe Dameron, and so much more. And on top of that, Charles has also been nominated for the Eisner Award for his image comic series, Undiscovered Country. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. It's a good one. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing podcast. I am your host, Garrett, and today I am with Charles So. What's going on? Uh, not much. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, and I just, realized, you know, I just, it's, it's kind of funny that I've, I've done like different podcasts in the, in, in the past and I, and I go by, by, uh, different names. Uh, usually my, <laughs> my online name is Scarrett's. Like if you ever see me on Scarrett's, uh, but I, I almost forgot just now that on this podcast, I usually just go by John. <laughs> so anybody who heard Scarrett's for the first time on this podcast, that is me. I'm pretty sure most, most people know that Scarrett's and John's the same person, but. Just a little disclaimer out there. <laughs> I, I usually tell people uh, what you're working on anyway, but why, why don't you tell us what uh, what you've been working on? Sure. I mean, I'm I'm one of those writers that's that's known for being kind of prolific and having a lot of things going at the same time, and that's been the case sort of ever since. Like before anybody knew my name, I was doing that because I my philosophy was always you write as many things as you can because you never know what's going to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never know what's going to land. You never know what's going to be the ticket to the next level of writing. Right, and right. so I would do that when I wasn't anybody. I would, I would have you know three books happening at a time, or trying to do all these different things. And then when I started to get more established in comics, one of the things you find out about comics is that they will they will give you as many titles, you know, assuming you're you're good at the job, they'll give you as many titles as as you can handle, mm-hmm. and then they'll give you three more titles. So you get to a point <laughs> where you just you write so many books at the same time. Um, and so I got I kind of learned how to juggle. I don't know. I mean, at, at, at one point I was on, literally on eight different comics at the same time. And some of those double shipped. So I was writing, you know, 10 issues a month. Some like it was, it was, it was <laughs> not smart, but I did it. Uh, and I was kind of the way that you, you, you know, pay your dues at the beginning. Um, but the point is I, I, I kind of got into a rhythm of writing a bunch of different things then, and I never really have stopped. So to answer the question you actually asked, which is what am I working on now? <laughs> um, I am, I'm currently in the middle of, let's see, what do I have? I am working on one, two, three, four, five, five comic series um, that are monthly. Uh, and I am working on a the screenplay for one of those comics, Undiscovered Country. I'm writing that with Scott Snyder, who's a good longtime friend of mine. Um, I am working on my fourth novel, uh, which is... I was just going to tell you what it was called, but I realized that, that none of that's been released yet, but I'm working uh-oh, on my fourth uh-oh. novel. 
We're going to blank it out now. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, which is exciting. It's another one under my own name. I just I just had a, a novel come out um, under for Star Wars called Light of the Jedi, which has done extraordinarily well, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But um, so that that's kind of the last big thing that I had that came out. But uh, so so I'm I'm doing all of that. I'm I'm you know working on sort of some some further out things that aren't even worth really like thinking about or getting into because they're just, you know, right now they're just kind of glints in my eye as, as far as ideas, but in terms of actual obligations, things that I have said I would do and have to get done, it's, it's the five comic series. Um, and then the novel on the screenplay. That's, that's what I'm working on right now. Right, right, right. And it's, it's kind of funny that like b- b- beforehand uh, we were just talking about like, Hey, like, you know, like, what, what things do you want to focus in on? And I mean, th- there's so much to talk about, but man, we can talk about organizing your time for writing. Cause that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, that, is a, that is a big one. Yeah. We can, do you want to start there or do you want to, do you want to go, go to someplace else or. Um, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Let's start. So, so first, first of all, what I what I usually ask to begin with, um, I, I'm, I'm actually shifting something a little bit. So I usually ask what people get into the headspace for writing, and, and I do want to ask that. But I think I I think I, I, I want to start uh start with uh or start starting uh, as of this podcast episode with um, what's your favorite piece of writing advice? Um, my favorite piece of writing advice is, I mean, really, I, I think. You know, it's, it's to, it's to gain authority, you know, it's to people can, readers can sense when a writer understands what they're writing about on a level that's beyond the surface and it feels that way. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it, this is just another way of saying, write what you know, but write what you know tends to be sort of reductive because people, people approach that from their own, their own lives. And like, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't ever write about being a doctor. That's not really what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say what that really should be is write, write with authority about whatever you're writing about. And you certainly do start with what you know. So if you, and, and everybody knows something, you know, like if you wash dishes, that's your job, you know, things about washing dishes that no one who doesn't do that job knows. So you can write about that with authority. If you are, you know, an, an airplane pilot, <laughs> you know, things about that job that nobody knows, if, you know, right, right. if you are a, I, you know, I don't care what it is. I don't care what the job is. If you, if you, you know, shuffle papers at an office, there are things, I mean, we literally saw a TV show for 10 years, the office that was about shuffling papers. <laughs> up, and it was great because it had that little minutia that was so relatable. And so mm-hmm. I think, so, so that's a place to start, you know, literally write what you know from your own life. But then if there's an area that you don't know, like do the homework and, and make yourself an authority on it to the extent that you can. I mean, in, right. in my last novel before Light of the Jedi, uh, it was a book called Anyone. And it had a lot about sort of neurology and the science of consciousness and where our thoughts come from and what, we, what is actually happening in our brains when we think about things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any of those things. And I didn't know, I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a cognitive scientist, but... I did a lot of reading and I talked to neurologists and had them go through what I had done and see what they thought about it. Give me their thoughts. I talked to cognitive scientists. And so by the time the book was done, I felt like I was writing from a place of authority. And I think that no matter what kind of story you're telling, certainly if you're doing nonfiction, but if you're doing any kind of fiction, like try to gain authority in the subjects that you're writing about because readers can feel it. And, and it just, you know, the really good books have that, have that authority, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've I've never, I never thought of the term right with authority, but that's exactly what it is. You know, I mean, now that you say it, I'm like, what? Like light bulb, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. I I, I get, I get this. I I think I can tell if I'm reading, if I'm reading something and the, the, the person feels really confident about, about what they're writing. It's like, oh yeah, this, this is this is it. This is real, and it's usually it usually comes from nuance, like you said, like the the small details and whatnot that you wouldn't know unless you either lived that life or um, did so much research and talked to people who do live that life that you you know that you learned it. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, that's like that's what separates. Well, that's that's the first thing that I think you notice um, if uh, you know if a story is is, is really well written. Like you, you, the little details are, are kind of what pull you in and, and and make it all the more immersive. You know. Yeah. Um, mm. I so, think uh, way- okay. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. I think when you're like, I'm thinking in particular about writing novels, like comics, you can comics, you can fake authority in a lot of ways because the artist has to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of that. Like if you say, <laughs> you know, draw an ambulance and I want to see the, the EMTs inside the ambulance. And then the artist needs to actually look up what that looks like and draw it. All you had to do is say, I want to see the inside of an ambulance. But if you're writing a novel, you need to describe, I mean, the inside of an ambulance in a way that people can understand and relate to. And mm-hmm. I think, and maybe that's even not the greatest example because people kind of know what that looks like. You know, you kind of can picture that in your head. But yeah. if it's something like, um, I don't know, let's say um, the inside uh, or like the control room, that's probably not great either. Uh, because I'm just thinking of, of things that people like, I was going to say the control room of a nuclear power plant, but everyone's going to think about Homer and the, Homer and the <laughs> um, you know, but like, how about this? How about a guitar factory? You know, like yeah, yeah. I kind of think I know what a guitar factory looks like, but I don't really know what a guitar factory looks like. Is it a bunch of people, um, you know, sitting there making guitars with their hands or is it, is, are there machines doing stuff or like, right. What's right. And I don't know the answer to that, even though I'm looking, I play guitar and I'm looking at a couple of guitars in, in the, uh, in the room where I am right now, it's what you're <laughs> like, but that's the kind of thing. And so, you know, you want to be able to describe that in a novel in a way that people are going to be like, you know, if you just write, you know, the, you know, the character walks into a guitar factory and smells, smells the sawdust, like that's not going to do it. You know, you need to talk about luthiers running, you know, planes along the curve of their, of the, uh, the instruments so that they have just exactly the right, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, and ideally you go to ones that you can see what it's like for yourself and interpret it for your own lens of experience. But if you can't, then you certainly do your homework and maybe talk to some people who've been to one. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I think, I think direct authority is best. And then talking to somebody who has it is second best. And then if none of those things are available, then you just do a lot of reading. And then the (laughs) worst person, you just make a bunch of shit up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's try not to make a bunch of stuff up if we can help yeah. it. <laughs> uh, because, because somebody because there's, there's always going to be somebody who, who who knows and points it out. There's going to be a random person that works in a guitar factory and they're going to go, that's not what that looks like. You know? <laughs> yeah. Completely. Completely. But uh but no, no, I I like that. I mean guitar guitar factory is a I mean that's that's a perfect example. I have no idea what it looks like on the inside. I have no idea how to find out. I would pray that there's a documentary somewhere. On um, you know, <laughs> what it looks like inside of a guitar factory. <laughs> the thing that, that I have found with weird research questions, like one time I was doing a um uh I was writing some ghostwriter stuff uh in very mm-hmm. early in my comics career at Marvel, and I needed to know something about stunt bike, like like a motorcycle jumping bike. Mm-hmm. And 
I didn't know if they were like, if they were like normal bikes or if they were done a different way or how they were handled. So I just called like, like a custom, you know, like they're like chopper design, American chopper or whatever, stuff like that. But I just found one in New Jersey. I like looked it up online and I called them and I said, you know, I'm writing for Marvel and I'm doing this and I don't really know. And I kind of want to be able to describe this, right? Would it look normal or would it have something else going on? And the guy's like, oh, that's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, and so people tend to, it depends on the context in which you contact them. But mm-hmm. in, in my experience, people enjoy conveying their expertise. So if you want right. to, if you tell somebody you're writing something and you want to get something right, they're usually kind of flattered to, to pass along their own authority. So exactly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to think about it. I think, I think you're absolutely correct. I think every time I've asked somebody about something that I don't know, um, it's kind of like they, they kind of like, you know, <laughs> they, they pump up a little bit. They're like, Oh yeah, I could tell you all about, you know, X, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Everybody likes to be an expert. Everybody likes it. Right. Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I mean, so think uh, honestly, uh, you mentioned, uh, panel descriptions earlier. One of the things that, that popped in my head is, uh, uh, is how, how often do you use, uh, and this is just, I'm just curious, how often do you use like references and whatnot? And, um, and, uh, like your, your scripts, like, do you, you know, get a, like a link or something and, and put it in the script for the artist to check out or, um, or is that, is that usually something they do? I don't do links. I did originally, but. Mm-hmm. Then I realized that they were kind of a pain because artists tend to print out their scripts and then they look at them over a cup of coffee or whatever they're doing. And then they <laughs> notes on them and they do that. And it's, they draw little thumbnail sketches in the margins like this is, and this is something that it's just from experience. You kind of learn it. And mm-hmm. so, and, and the other thing too, it, it, they just won't, I mean, it's like a pain to click on a link, you know? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so that's the level of, of, they just probably, they might not ever do it. And you also mm-hmm. don't want, one of the most important things when you're working in comics is to be respectful of your entire team. So you don't want to be conveying things to them. You don't want to make their jobs any harder than it already is because everybody's job is tough to make a comic. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to make them have to go through any extra effort that you could have saved them. Like that's a big one. Okay. So, and that's, that's all down the line. So, so what we're talking about is reference images. And I absolutely will include reference if there's something that I feel like it's easier just to, to include a photograph of something, I'll just copy and paste it from the net and drop it into the script so that they can, I don't have to try and describe it. I can just show them. So if I was like, here's a guitar factory, I would find a picture of one and drop that in. Um, but, you know, the other thing too about your scene descriptions and your, and your image work and whatever, uh, whatever references you use is that the better those are and the more complete they are without going overboard, mm-hmm. the less likelihood there is you're ever going to have to ask them for a correction later. And that's the last thing you, if you, if you have to ask your artist for a correction, mm-hmm. unless it's something that like, I mean, sometimes it just happens. Right. But, but I consider yeah. those, those requests for corrections to be kind of a failure on my part because, you know, like if it's a, if it's a storytelling choice, that's not my fault because artists generally make those choices and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it. But if it's something like, you know, I wanted an airplane and they drew a train because I didn't specify the type of vehicle or like I needed it to be a propeller right. plane. Better example is I needed it to be like a Cessna, like a two-person Cessna, mm-hmm. and they drew a jet, right? Because right. I didn't make that clear. I kind of feel like that's on me. And so yeah. I, I usually, unless it's really, truly, crucially important, I won't go back and have anybody fix something like that that I consider my my mistake. Um, right. right. Yeah. Anyway, that's my experience. You just figure out ways to make sure that doesn't happen. 
Right. Yeah. I, I feel like in, in when it comes to panel descriptions and in, in, in comics, it's it's uh, it sounds like it's, it's important to make sure that you're precise, but still, you know, maybe maybe well, depending on who you're working with, um, not too over descriptive to where you limit, you know, um, their their you know their frame of reference. Like you know, it has to be exactly like this, this from A to Z. Um, but still be direct enough to the so you know so they don't they don't draw the the jet versus the other plane you know um, yeah yeah so uh so yeah so getting back to uh, what we were talking about at the beginning because you, you mentioned all the books and honestly I don't know if you remember but uh, I actually met you briefly at uh, Star Wars Celebration um, oh, wow. like like very very it was right after the um, well what's now a lot of the Jedi, uh, yep. <laughs> but it yep. was right. It was right after the, what was it? What they call it back then? Project Luminous, I think. Project Luminous. That is. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a Star Wars celebration. You and DJ older uh, were on the stage with, with, uh, with a few others. And, um, yes. and I, I did like a quick handshake and stuff like that. Um, I don't even think at that time I had not started this particular podcast yet. Um, but I remember I, I said something about how are you juggling all these books? <laughs> it was just like yeah. really quick and passing. It's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just, I, I just learned to do it over time. So, um, but I mean, but now we can talk a little bit more about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so one of the, one of the things that uh, the uh, writers and, and, and I are, I, I teach, I tell myself this all the time too. It's like, I, I kick myself in the butt. Um, and I, and I, and I urge others that are kind of at my level, what I mean at my level is, is, is you know, uh, working, uh, you know, maybe have a nine to five or something like that. Family, you know, kids got to take them to soccer practice, you know, whatever, like just life stuff. Right. Um, how do you, how do you fit in the time to write even, even one book? You know, it's, it's like, like when you first mentioned it to somebody, the concept of writing a novel or even a, even a comic script, even, even before we even get to something as long as a novel, then it's, 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 it's kind of overwhelming. You know what I mean? Um, is there any, like what's kind of uh, your process for organizing your? T- and I, I know it's a little bit different now for you because you do it full time. But um, I'm, I'm sure there was a there was a point of time where you were uh, there was a little bit of overlap. I, th- I think I remember you, you said you were a lawyer beforehand. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I would well, I started kind of. I knew that I wanted to have this this full time writing life a long time ago, and I knew that it was going to require a lot of commitment, a lot of focus, and it was going to be a long road. Everybody told me what I'll say right now, which is that it takes forever to get to a place where you are a, there aren't, there are no overnight successes in writing. And anyone who says they are is someone who is not telling you about the five to 10 years they spent trying to get there. Um, <laughs> and, and yes, there are first novels that have huge advances. Yes, there are people who are quote unquote overnight successes in comics and suddenly you see their name everywhere. But those, all of those people have been in the trenches for a really long time. And, and I am no exception. I, I started trying to write comics in uh, like 2004, 2005. I didn't get my first thing published until 2009, which was a graphic novel called Strongman mm-hmm. in March of 2009 by uh, SLG. And then um, I didn't have my first gig uh, at the, and then I was sort of in the creator owned, you know, I don't want to call them the minor leagues. Creator owned amazing, but like, you know, I had not That's been true. noticed or published by Marvel or DC, which is by many people considered to be the big leagues. Right. until 2013 with Swamp Thing. So my path to getting like a big two job was basically nine years. And mm-hmm. then, you know, it just, and I started trying to be a writer, like literally the, the day that I took the bar exam to be a lawyer, I was like, oh man, I've made a mistake. And <laughs> I, I started, 
I started writing my first novel, um, my, which remains unpublished. It's one of those, um, there's this term in, in for novelists have for their, write, their early writing. Uh, and it's called juvenilia or juvenile, juvenilia, uh, mm-hmm. J-U-V-E-N-I-L-I-A. And everybody that I know has, has at least one novel in a drawer. And some have three or four. Um, they're, they, and they're just things that they thought weren't, you know, either they tried to take them out or they weren't ready to be published or whatever the reason is. And I have one of those. I have, a, I have a, a completed novel called The Land of 10,000 Things that at this point, I don't think will ever, <coughs> excuse me, see the, night of, see the light of day unless I decide to go back in and re- really rework it and do different things with it, which I think about sometimes. Like it took yeah. me years to write that book. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and the idea that it's just kind of, you know, taking up space on a hard drive is, is kind of funny to me. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, like, I could not have written other better things without having written that first. And that's really what it is. Like the whole path is a ladder and every rung, um, first of all, is, is usually kind of fun and enriching, especially as you start to make a network and make other friends who are trying to get up the ladder too. But every part of it was, was like exciting and interesting. And I had this great sense of achievement and I, I still do. So mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't really regret that it took all that time to get to the point where, where I, was, I was able to sort of even consider not being an attorney anymore. Um, right, right. But, uh, you know, it, but, but it takes a long time. So in terms of how I organized my time back then to be able to do it, when I was working as a full-time attorney, um, I just started making choices. I mean, first of all, like I really wanted it. And so, mm-hmm. and then I was younger then too, right? I mean, this is 2000 is 21 years ago. So I was significantly mm-hmm. younger and I had more energy. Um, so I would do things like I would work a full day at the law firm, which is for baby lawyers, a lot of time. Yeah. And then I would go home and I would write, I would outline or write chapters um, of, of that first novel. And I wrote the whole first draft in longhand um, because my thinking was that writing in longhand in notebooks uh, would enable me to then do an editing and, and polish pass as I typed it in, which happened. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would, you know, do another pass or whatever. It just, it was a way of sort of forcing myself to improve the book as I, as I did it. Right. Um and I could, I could, the other advantage to writing in longhand for that first draft was that I could do it on things like on the subway or when I was waiting for somebody or like when I was, mm. you know, trying to, like I, I would have 15 minutes and I could get a little bit done. I could write a scene. I could write some dialogue. I could do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always needed to feel like I had that sense of forward momentum that I was sort of digging myself out of a life that maybe was, was not the path that I wanted to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being an attorney. I was, I mean, it's a hell of a career. Plenty of people love it. I was, I was fortunate to have yeah. it. But I also knew that it just, I was, the, the path I have now is the path I should have been on. Right, so, right. so as far as time management in those days, it was about using every spare second I had and just really focusing on it and really wanting it and not choosing things that would divert me from it. Um, so like, you know, not, you know, like I remember very distinctly not buying myself a games console because yeah, yeah. I didn't want to have that available to me to play. And similarly, you know, like just a lot of choices like that, whatever they were, um, mm-hmm. you know, staying in sometimes as opposed to going out or like, you know, saying, all right, this, this week I'm going to, or this weekend, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to one movie, but then the rest of the time I'm going to be working. So, right. so, and all of that adds up, you know, it pays off. Eventually you have a book, eventually you have a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as, as time moves on, um, you know, I started, I started making choices in my career that a lot would allow me for more flexibility. So. For example, instead of working at the big firm where I started, 
I left and went to start my own practice, which meant much less security, but it meant much more freedom as far as my time and how I would use it. So there would be days where I could take half the day and write if I, if I felt like I could spare that and like keep the lights on at the business um, and, and so on. And so that decision um, enabled me to, you know, again, it was scary, right? It was sort of, but it, but it wasn't like, like just, you know, I quit, I'm going to be a full-time writer now. Like it wasn't like that kind of, you know, making, making steps in the direction I wanted to be while also being cautious and, and knowing that, you know, most people don't make it as a professional writer. And so I, I, I would have, to, I didn't want to not have a living. So, right, right. Um, and then over time it got to the point where, um, so this is, this is around probably 2015 when, um, I told you I was, I was doing like eight, eight comics at, at a time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so I would, and I had these, these hyper meticulous schedules of like, okay, this day I'll use for this, this day I'll use for that. Um, and, and I have three days to write this script and I have to write 10 scripts this month, which means I, I have to like, normally I, I like, you know, it's nice to have, I can, I can feel very comfortable about writing the script in four days. Like that's more than enough time. Three days mm-hmm. is probably fine, but there are lots of times when because of other obligations, like with the law firm and just, you know, family, whatever the hell is going on, I would have to do stuff in a day. Like I would have to mm-hmm. wake up in the morning without knowing what the script is going to be and be and finish it that day. And I have done that many times and i i don't like it but if you have to it's a good skill to be able to have if you're going to work in, in big right comics. right um, um so so in that phase when i was doing too much i just became a machine and i at the beginning of each quarter i would block out exactly what i needed to write and how many pages and i would have a document that had all of those scripts in red red text and as mm-hmm. i finished a script i would change that to green and I would feel start feeling better and better the more that it turned to green. And so yeah. I have these documents in my writing folder about that are just all green green lists of scripts. And it made me feel very, very accomplished as those red lists turn green. Um, mm-hmm. That's what worked for me. I also tend to do a lot of work still in longhand. I have all these, these notebooks that I, I can work in anywhere. So I can go to the co- – well, in the old world, I could go to the coffee shop, the bar, Subway – um, you know, <laughs> the whole world. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, that stuff isn't available now, but it, right. No, it, no, don't be. <laughs> um, and the funny thing too, is, you know, like technically, I guess in some ways I have more time because I'm not like commuting and I'm not doing conventions and things like that, but right. I feel like, I, you know, somehow, like, I think it's just the, the weird, the weird way pandemic time goes. Um, yeah. but so, so that was kind of the second phase when I was, when I was do, I had to become this machine and now it's different because I tend to write um, longer, more long form things. So novels, screenplays, pilots, um, you know, if I'm writing a comic, a lot of times I'll write like an arc of it at the same time so that it it feels more novelistic to me. And I can, I'm not flying by the seat of my pants as much, um, Uh issue to issue. Uh, so what I'll usually do is block out a chunk of time and say, well, for this month, because I, I, I use a system called bullet journaling, which I'm sure other writers have mentioned at some point, it's a, Uh just an organizational system that you, you do in, in a notebook. Um, and so I, and, and part of it is that you block out chunks of time ahead of time. So you block out the month and you say, this is what I'm going to do this month, week one, week two, week three, week four. Yeah. Um, and, and you kind of try to organize yourself that way. And I do that at the beginning of every month. I actually did March. Um, uh, I just did March yesterday. Uh, got a few days late, whatever. I was busy. Um, mm-hmm. But now I know the things that I need to accomplish this month in terms of the writing goals. And, and some of that is just like putting it in 
in longhand lets you know you can see the shape of you can see the shape of the entire month uh, mm-hmm. ahead. So like you know, this week was a lot of sort of like clearing house stuff, getting my decks cleared of the you know stuff I need to do, and then this weekend is for is for my next novel, and then in the beginning next week is for that, and then there's screenplay stuff, and then at the end of next week I have to write a, a, a script for Star Wars, which I'm excited about. So right, right. because I know that's coming, like I can, it's like you're looking down the railroad tracks at a series of train cars and they're all lined up and you know, what's coming at you and you know what you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, one car has, has, I don't know, steel. The next one has a bunch of chickens in it. The next one has, you know, <laughs> a bunch of hobos you got to deal with. I don't know. So it's, um, it's like that. So it's just, it's just don't, I guess if I was going to sum up all of this, everything I just said, mm-hmm. it's be very in control of your time and don't yeah. like time is going to, life is going to throw surprises at you. But the right. more you have set up in advance in terms of what you think you can actually get done and you know your pace, the better you'll be. So plan, 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 plan. Don't just be like, oh, maybe I'll do something this month. Like it does not work. You have to be <laughs> rigorous, rigorous about it. Right. Yeah. 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 I I, I know from experience that saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this is far less effective than me writing down what I'm going to do, um, at least on a, even if it's not day by day, at least by the week. You know, um, day by day is, is, is a little, it's a little better, but if I know that, Hey, um, I'm going to have, uh, you know, scripts one through, you know, what in script one and two written, uh, you know, in this two week time span or whatever, um, then I could break it down further from that and, and, and so forth. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, that, that's, that's my big thing. My second episode on this podcast was, it was about planning your writing, um, because, so many people, myself included, like anything that I talk about on here is because it's something that I um, have have had to learn or am still learning myself. Um, right. And, and the the big one of one of the biggest things was planning. It's like you can do it, it's, but it's like you said, not getting that that game system. You know, everybody's raging over the PS Five. Well, PS Five is not in yeah. stock right now. Maybe you should just go ahead and write <laughs> instead <Yeah>. of <laughs> yeah. totally. You know, because we all know, like, I mean, that stuff is designed to to take your attention, you know, it's designed to take your time. And so like, if you, if you let it take your time, like it wants to, it's, it's built to, and if you let it, then Mm -hmm. it will. So what you need to do is just avoid the temptation completely and just don't have that system. You know, don't, (laughs) don't buy games for your PC on steam for God's sake. Don't download like candy crush or whatever for your phone, like all that stuff, (laughs) you know, you don't need it. All of that mental energy if you want to distract yourself, read a book, right? Because that at least mm-hmm. is enriching and it's something directed to the craft. Um, right. And I'm not saying there's not storytelling in video games. There absolutely is, but yeah. is there storytelling in like Candy Crush? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's just, you can make, if this is what you want, and, and this is something that I really think separates the people who really make it from the people who kind of dabble or don't, or don't get down really far, very far down the road is that, you have to be extraordinarily disciplined from the beginning and you can't mm-hmm. ever not be disciplined. You right. know, like yeah. there, there are like cliches of writers, like, I don't know, like you think of, you think of Ernest Hemingway, you know, you, you think of him being like this kind of, you know, the, the way that he, the persona he generated was of this kind of like this dude who drank a lot and kind of rambled around and every so often he'd mm-hmm. plop himself down in front of a, um, or Hunter S. Thompson, another good example. These people who just sort of like plop themselves down in front of a, you know, a typewriter sometimes and, and somehow manage to make a novel. 
does not work that way, you know, and, and I guarantee that's not how they did it because you can't, you just can't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't happen by itself. And mm-hmm. you have to have a certain level of focus and you have to have a certain level of, of discipline that right. cannot go away because you'll never get it done. Writing a novel is, it's so hard, man. Like you, you, you have to, it's like climbing the same mountain seven times mm-hmm. and revising and revising every time you do it. And you have to completely put your head into a, a, a completely fabricated world. You right. know, you have yeah. to know that world to the most intimate, precise detail and mm-hmm. everyone who's in it, you have to make all these people up who live in it. You have to know everything they're going to say and do um, and a level that you don't actually have to plan it. It just sort of happens like they're talking in their voices and it's, it is this bizarre meditative process that mm-hmm. is like, I am, it's, it's frightening almost like the, the intensity <laughs> of it is so hard. And I, yeah. like, I, I love it when it's working and I, but I dread it. And I'm like a little, I'm, I'm, I'm into my fourth novel now and I can just feel like I know how long this journey is, you know, mm-hmm. to get to a point where I have a draft and this, I chose a really difficult subject to write about too. So <laughs> scary. But, it, seems, okay. it seems, it seems kind of like, it seems kind of like, you know, the way you just described it, it seems kind of like if you're on the outside, like, you know, you could do this thing, like you've, you've written a novel before, written comics, whatever, or yeah, you know, wh- whatever the thing is, or even, even if we put it in a, in a, in a mindset, like of, I don't know, boxing or something, it's like, all right, I know I've been in a ring before. I know I know how to block. I know I know how to strike, uh, whatever. But when you're outside of the ring or you're outside, outside of writing, you know, a project, you're, you're not actively, or you're, I guess you're always actively on it, but you know, you're not you know, say it's before uh, your next novel or something like that. You know what I mean? You're getting ready to dive into it. It's kind of like a scary thing. It's like, wow, I really got to walk in that ring and fight this guy. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I, think that's right. I think that's right. You have to, you have to wrestle novels into submission. And a lot of people will, will use combat metaphors to talk about writing novels specifically. I don't think so much with comic. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's much more collaborative. Like you only, when you're writing a comic, the writer only has to do, half of the creation and some artists would say they do less than half the creation. It depends yeah. on who you talk to, but, yeah. but when you're writing a novel, it is all on you and it is mm-hmm. um, very hard and there's a rhythm to it. And you have to, it is really very much like you get up and you go to work every day and you don't do anything else until it's mm-hmm. done. And it's, right. you know, I, I do like it, but it, it never, it does not seem to get easier. It does not seem to get faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the work is getting better. Like my, I think my books are getting better with each one. I mean, Light of the Jedi seems to have landed extraordinarily well with people, which makes me so oh, yeah, proud. Really, and really, really good. Yeah, really good. That that intro um, in that book was uh, <laughs> that was quite the intro. The uh, the hyperspace incident. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> some amazing it, stuff. It needed to be, you know, it needed to be. Yeah, yeah, and I, I honestly, um, so that's that's actually a good segue into into another aspect of writing that I was thinking about that, that I think you do well. Um, and I noticed I noticed that a lot of your stuff, but um, since I just read a lot of the Jedi, um, I think I finished like a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm like halfway into Claudia's novel now. Um, yeah, uh, but um, but uh, a couple weeks ago I finished a lot of the Jedi, and um, one of the things I noticed really quick. Is I'm just kind of funny. I was reading the same time as my dad. My dad was like, "Doesn't this feel like Star Wars Game of Thrones?" And I'm like. Uh, kind of sometimes <laughs> you know as far as far as you know be people you don't know who's gonna get it you know what i mean um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh but in, in any case so w- one of the things i noticed uh and in in that you mentioned earlier about getting like really like living in that world and getting into the characters heads and whatnot i one of the things that struck me the most were not like yeah i, I like all the I, you know i like uh, uh what was it avar chris you know and i like uh you know um What's uh oh 
names are Storm. Uh... Oh, Logan Gridstorm. Great storm. There you go. Great storm. Um, you know, I, I like I like Marcion Rowe. I like I like all these characters. Um, um, like this, as far as their depth. But w- the thing that struck me were the were the moments with smaller characters. Like when at the beginning, when you meet the uh, I don't even think, I don't even think they 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 get a name, but you meet the uh, the the two that are working, the coworkers that are working at the I don't know. At I, the, it's an the, alert system. Thing. Yeah, you do. It's Mervin Getter and um, Bell Gorta. I think are the two. Okay. Okay. See, I, I, I can't remember, but like, I, I, I remember what I, what I do remember is like getting this, um, this like, like if they're set up well, you know, he's talking about a girl that he likes, he's going to go meet her yeah. after the, you know, um, and it's just like, you know, when what happens happens, it's just like, oh man, but what about the date? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's the job, you know, like this, right. this book had to, do, had to do a hundred things and it had to do them all exceptionally well if it was going to mm-hmm. work because the whole initiative, the whole thing was riding on everybody needed to love Light of the Jedi. And if they didn't, people would be like, yeah, okay, well, it's fine. I'm, but I'm not going to read the other ones, you know? So yeah, it needed yeah. to be a, in a total across the plate home run. No, no doubt about it. And right. so I decided to just use every single thing I could think of to to make it that. And, and that's, there are so many things that went into it from designing the characters, from designing the world, from designing the Jedi and the way their, their technology and their clothing might be different. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they use the force, like all of those things were, were designed to be just exhilarating, uh, invigorating and exhilarating and, mm-hmm. and emotional for any star Wars fan who might read them, no matter what their level of fandom or familiarity was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the goal I set out for myself and, you know, again, I don't want to speak too much about it or, you know, but it seems <laughs> Sorry, just yeah. what I'm hearing people really responded. Yeah. 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 Really, really will. I mean, and like you said, like to what you said earlier about, again, this is a fantasy world. Star Wars is a fantasy world. Like it's not a real place, but still the way you can immerse yourself in like you just said about speaking with authority, um, like little tiny details, even like the, again, names, uh, can't remember well but at the beginning um there's the nautilin who senses the person via their pheromones on the ship yeah i was yep, like yep. i'm like man that's good like because that's like I mean, i'm a star wars nerd right but like to yep. me seeing a little nod to the nautilin's pheromones was like oh and then you know what happens happens um yeah. but but little like little details like that is what is what helped to pull people in you know um so i guess i, I guess if i had a question about that whole thing about about you know not just light of the jedi but but the the idea of making um character like making people care about any character whether it's a small character whether it's a a, a protagonist or an antagonist i i think back to uh like even jedi master like i think it's infala from dark figure yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like he was only in there for like was that one issue or two two issues two issues yeah but but i love them you know like in, in, in yeah. a very short time so i guess my question is how like what is what do you think is a, is 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 one of the or some of the best ways to make people care about a character, even if it's, even if it's a bad guy, even if it's an antagonist, you know? Sure. I mean, you, you give them, um, you give them human, human, relatable human traits. Right. And, and what are the things that everybody has? You know, we all want things. We all lose things. We all um, need things. We all, you know, are afraid of things. <clears throat> we all find certain things frustrating, you know, everybody has those things in common. And mm-hmm. so if you give your character, those things, you identify them specifically on the page, then people will understand that person as a person. And even if they might not 
agree with the thing. Like maybe somebody likes peas and you hate peas. I hate peas. Right. So, <laughs> but, but I can understand the, the, the idea of somebody liking food, you know, having a real connection to some particular kind of food because right. everybody has that. Um, so, you know, you just, you, you try to think of the things that this person would, would have, you know, and you give them a sense of history, a sense of, you know, an anchor to their, to their time. Um, so, so they don't feel like they've just been created specifically for, for this moment, mm-hmm. you know, like you with, so, so in the first, you know, in the first two chapters of Light of the Jedi, you meet, you meet many characters, but mm-hmm. you meet <clears throat> three sort of central protagonists. You meet a ship captain named Hedda Cassett, you meet mm-hmm. Mervyn Getter, and you meet Belgorta, who are the, the first one is, is, a, is, like I said, a ship captain. And then the second two are basically kind of low level kind of technicians who work on a monitoring station out in the, in, in the middle of space. And with Hedda Cassett, you get a sense of her very clearly in that chapter that she is somebody who, who gives a shit about her job, that mm-hmm. she is very good at it, that she has, she's older and she could retire, but she's chosen not to because she, she believes it's important to her um, and important to the people she takes care of. She thinks she can do it better than other people can not in a cocky way, just sort of like a certainty kind of way. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and she's kind of funny and she does, you know, like you, you make her a person. Right. right. <laughs> and so when she, you know, again, this is, it's the first chapter or whatever, when she dies <laughs> yeah. and, and not only does she die, but she dies after doing her job extraordinarily well. Yeah. She does everything right. You know, you she you saved the, her- a relationship is established too. And not, not just between her and people on the show. I mean, there, there is a little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. To the kids, but her and the ship, um, yeah. Yeah. like no, it's, that's powerful. Yeah, exactly. And so then when, when, you know, the line that I use in the book is, you know, she didn't fail the ship, the ship failed her. And then you feel yeah. it. You're like, oh, God damn yeah. it. You, <laughs> you want it to work. You know, you, you think, oh my God, she made it because in normally in these stories, they make it. And mm-hmm. so, especially somebody that gets this level of, of buildup and, and, and focus. Mm-hmm. So, so that was her. And then in the second chapter, you have, you know, Mervyn Getter, who basically just wants to clock out and get back to his, his home planet. So he can ask this, this woman out on a date that he like sees that he goes and gets a beer at this tavern, mm-hmm. you know, a couple nights a week. And she's always there and they're flirting. He's like, tonight's the night I'm going to ask her out. And that's relatable. People know that even if, even if, you know, they've been married 30 years. They know what that feels like. Right. Um, right. And, and, and then, you know, his, his coworker, uh, uh, Bell, Bell or Beck, I think Beck actually, now that I think about Beck, Bell, mm-hmm. anyway, whatever she, <laughs> she is somebody we can all kind of relate to too, because she's like, you know, she's, she's the first guy's superior. And so she's, she kind of spends her day, like letting him do most of the work and, you know, uh, and, and she kind of reads romance novels while she's working and, right, and right. all of it's fine, you know, like, it's because real people do those things and you, mm-hmm. we all kind of know somebody like that or have met or, or can imagine somebody like that. But then the thing that's important about her and the thing that makes her work is that when push comes to shove, Mervyn Getter is like, because a catastrophe happens, right? And, right? and Mervyn sees it first. They both recognize it. And Mervyn's like, we need to get the hell out of here before we, you know, before we die. And she is the one who says, well, first we have to raise the system alarm and it takes both of our access codes. So we need to take the 30 seconds to do it because if we don't, no one in the system will know. And she's, so she's the one who actually like is kind of brave when it comes down to it. Exactly. Exactly. And so they do that. They both recognize the need to do that. Mervyn's like, yes, you're absolutely right. And they do it. And because they 
took that 30 seconds, they don't make it out in time and they both die too. And so it's this, it's mm-hmm. this tapestry of, of decisions, large and small, that make you feel it the way that you would feel it if, if it happened to a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And right. um, it's not a lot of real estate in which to do that. And, and I, this is where my, my description of how you do it breaks down because ultimately it just kind of comes from practice and learning how and knowing what works and knowing what doesn't and having sort mm-hmm. of an innate set of instincts about the way to, to build characters. And the only way you can really do it is by writing a lot of stuff over a lot of years. I mean, right. I've been writing, yeah. writing for 20 years and Light of the Jedi is at moment the apogee of my writing. Like that's the last big thing I wrote. And I mean, mm-hmm. there's been some stuff that you guys don't know about uh, since then, but <laughs> basically that's the last big thing to come out. And I used everything I knew to do it. And that's why I think it works so well. And that's why it, um, it was a number one New York times bestseller. Like, you know, it, it hits and yep. it's because I gave a shit and I really, really wanted it to be, everything that I would want if I was coming into a new era of Star Wars like this. Right, right. Absolutely. And that's what you guys are doing. Like you guys are literally establishing an age of Star Wars. That's that's huge. Um, I, I didn't even know when I was sitting in the room back in, uh, was that 19, 2019? I didn't even, I didn't even realize like what was happening. I, they were just like, oh, this Project Luminous. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> but um, it was... God, it was if the one in celebration was in 2019, and then the actual announcement of what it was was February 2020. Yeah. So yeah. 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 yeah that, that that was like I, I mean I didn't I didn't realize where where I was at, and I just remember watching a little video, and it showed you guys like walking up to the I don't know if it was a lodge or our house somewhere, um, and and it, and it, it's kind of like 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 almost like this like documentary style thing. Um, they kind of shows what the how this thing was getting started, but again, they we didn't we didn't know what it was yet. So I mean seeing that then and then seeing you know we have to read in the first book and halfway through uh claudia's book um and there's there's still some some of the uh i think there's like lower grade novels like uh, uh like seventh like middle uh grade. yeah there's there's um Christina ireland wrote a middle grade novel called the test of courage which is great mm-hmm. and then uh daniel jose older is writing a comic series called high republic adventures which yeah. centers around yoda taking a bunch of padawans around uh in like on kind of like a kind of like semester at sea in uh in in uh in his book which is great and then kevin scott is writing uh the marvel comic series uh which is fantastic too the high republic so mm-hmm. yeah those are the yeah. projects and they're really they're all they're all hits they're all landing really well it's great yeah it's excellent it's kind of funny because i like i had justina on here before so we, we've had a chat um uh you're on here now and like uh dj older is going to be on a little later on i guess i guess they're better uh I guess I better give a call to Kevin. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and get and get Claudia on too. She's yeah. did you say you're gonna you know, too? Gonna- yeah, and Claudia as well. Yeah. Oh, I love, oh, I love, love, love her books. Uh, man, yeah, Lost, Lost Stars. Stars. Uh, no, man, yeah. like it's so excellent. And the funny thing about Lost Stars is like just reading the title, um, or the you know the not the title, but the um, little description. I I didn't think it was my thing because it said you know I'm not I'm not the biggest romance head. I mean, like romance is fine. I'm not the, you know, so reading the description, it says, it basically says, oh, it's a romance. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get to it eventually. And when I, and when I finally read it, I was like, how did I not read this before? Like, it was, I was, I was so mistaken by, by being, uh, by, by, I guess, ignoring the, the, the romance part of it. I was kind of like, uh, oh, romance. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it soon. But man, I, I, I was definitely mistaken. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, no. Um, 
so yeah talking about build it like these these little the little details to help build these characters and, and, i mean and you mentioned um of course having needing years and years to you know to know how to do this but i, I think one of the one of the big points you made is is uh being relatable like creating these situations that people understand like the like the 30 year old married couple uh, or a couple's been together for 30 years who understand what it's like to uh to, you know to go meet a a girl you like or a guy you like yeah, after, sure. you know uh, after work or whatever, you know, like, like little stuff like that is what really, I, I mean, I think, I think th- those are the things that, that writers have to learn to harness, you know, those are the things I try to figure out, like in everything, you know, what, why, why do I care about this character? You know, that's, that's, yeah. a, is there anything, like, is there anything about this character that I care about? No, then let's, let's figure out why, you know, why I care about this character. Um, um, but then there's, of course, there's the other side of that, uh, the other side of the, <laughs> The character or the the coin, I guess, and and which is uh, of course plot, and we don't have to go into a huge crazy plot discussion. You know, character plot is a, is a huge. Oh, they they're they're measured. It's why that they're you know what what have you. But um, one of the things that I think you do well in general is is uh building conflict and not having like the first conflict resolution be uh the final resolution. Like you know, kind of having like a, a conflict and then oh, how do we fix that? And then oh, this first solution didn't work let's try this next one. Oh, that didn't work. You know, like there's a, there's obvious tension building, you know, as, as, as you try to, to solve the, I think you do that in a lot of the Jedi too. I can't talk too much on the details because I think it'll spoil some stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I guess, uh, how do you, how do you feel uh, is uh what are some ways that you, that you like to, in anything um, build tension uh, in the, in the plot? Well, you know, mystery, you know, people who don't know things that need to know. Uh, yeah. Um, that's, that's an obvious way to do it. Like people who need to solve something. Um, I, I like ticking clocks a lot, you know, like this thing is, and you see a big one at the beginning of light of the Jedi, right? Like that was very intentional. Um, I like the idea that in this, you know, you, you tell the reader early on in this much time, this something, something good or bad is going to happen. And so then they start anticipating, they start thinking about it and then you can subvert expectations along the way if you want, but that's Mm -hmm. one. Um, I think, you know, you have two plans that are, um, at odds with each other, you know, you, you can suggest that there's a villain or, you know, not even necessarily a villain and a hero, but like there's, there are two people who want things that, you know, as the reader are completely at odds. And, and so even if the two people don't know it, mm-hmm. the two characters don't know that you, the reader can see these two cars coming to the intersection where they're going to have like a collision. Um, right, right. And so that is, um, you know, that's part of it. Uh, I think right. the, um, you know, those, you know, and then there's, there's things like fighting and violence and all that stuff, you know, like, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, I mean that, you know, romantic tension, all of those sort of basic ways. But I think, you know, just from, from a, a, you know, I, I think the, the big three would probably be ticking clock, mystery to be solved and characters with, with conflicting goals. Those things tend to just have this built in engine to them mm-hmm. that, that leads to, you know, a, a place of conflict and tension. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I like a lot too, when there's characters that are kind of um, more or less on the same side, but yeah. then their goals conflict. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, what's going to happen is they're, they're friends, right? Or are they, yeah. you know, <laughs> how, how is this going to work? You know, how is this problem? Is this problem going to get solved? They're solving the problem, causing another problem, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, th- th- again, there, there's a there's a billion things I can reference anywhere from you know in, in your work that I've read, anywhere from Daredevil to to uh, you know Darth Vader uh, stuff like that. You know, like there's there's just like a, a lot of little what like what what's going to happen. You know, the mystery of the situation, and then, and then there's always a, cr- a creative resolution. I, I think I think that's important too. Um, it's something that you don't expect. Uh, being uh, becoming the resolution to the problem, like 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 Jacosta putting a what a lightsaber inside of a gun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, which um, which, uh, which was a great beat that I really liked. I mean, that you know, it's one of those things that it 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 works for her. You know, it, it feels like mm-hmm. something that she would, she would do, which which was cool. Um, but it's also very surprising, and you don't you wouldn't expect it until you see it. And then mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty great. So you know, <laughs> there's there's all kinds of things that you you just kind of you, you get to a point where it's like playing an instrument. You know, like I, I mentioned before, I play guitar. I've been playing guitar for forever, mm-hmm. um, and I don't really have to think too much about a lot of the things that I'm doing on it because I'm just like I've just been I've just played guitar so long for so long, so much that I can kind of just do it now, which is, which is great. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I, you know, I, 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 some, there's a, like I mentioned this earlier, there's just a point where my, my ability to talk about craft breaks down because it just comes down to, I've been doing it a long time and I know how to do it. Like you, you, I think somebody like, you know, Eddie Van Halen, right? Look, Eddie Van Halen could teach somebody how to play guitar. Could he teach people to play guitar the way he does? Probably not. Right. Or did yeah. I away, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like a lot, a lot of this, like even even from your first piece of advice about authority, um, a lot of it comes down to putting the time into it, like wanting it, like really, yeah, really yeah. wanting it. Yep. Uh, writing is a passion thing, in, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't think you could do it. Uh, like, I could tell, like, like reading Lila Joe, I could tell you cared. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, like, like there, I'm sure there are some writers out there who. Who maybe they're, they're just like, oh, I just got to make this check. You know, I don't think most of them are like that, to be honest. I think a lot of people care about what they're writing. But, you know, there, there, there may be there's there's a lot of books out there in the world. <laughs> so yeah. there, there, there may be some that are just kind of like, oh, this is for a checkbook. You know what I mean? Um, oh, but I mean, look, there are definitely people who, who write for a paycheck. And, and right. that's <laughs> I mean, it's a job. There's I mean, there's no doubt that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as. Like this led to the Jedi could not be that for me. And mm-hmm. because I love Star Wars too much, this whole thing was too important. Yeah. I felt like it was a lot of faith was being placed in me to write that launch book um, because the whole thing was going to live or die by it. If that book had been boring or stupid or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, like the controversial or any of those things, right? it would have torpedoed this multi-year massive story. Maybe not torpedoed it. Things can recover, but it mm-hmm. would have knocked it down from what everybody really wanted and needed it to be. Right. And so I did care because my name was going to be on it no matter what it looked like, right? If it was, a, if it was awesome or if it was terrible, my name was going on the cover. You can't, you know, I right. took the job. So, and I knew how much focus and attention there was going to be on it. And, and so I worked my ass off and, and even beyond that, I love Star Wars. And I think that that comes, whether it's, you know, Captain Finneal Bright, that model you mentioned, or, mm-hmm. you know, getting to do cool stuff for the Jedi or any of the things I mm-hmm. love Star Wars and getting to tell such a significant part of it was, was like a dream come true, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome stuff. I, I, I love the passion. I mean, like I said, like you, you, and, and honest, honestly, I, I love reading Star Wars, not just because I love Star Wars. I mean, I, I've, yeah, I've watched it and 
you know, read stuff since I was a kid and whatnot. But like, I really feel like the people um, uh, since I've been reading, and I've been reading like very consistently since like the re was it 2014 ish, the, the re, uh, yep, 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 the new canon. Um, like, I feel like everybody has the fact, like, everybody who's currently writing stuff has passion for it, and I love it. Like, that, I think that's why I really enjoy, um, uh, reading it because you could tell, you know, um, but in any case, um, yeah, we, I mean, I, I can, I can go on about freaking Star Wars forever, and then, uh, like, oh, actually, if I had, if I had one last Star Wars, we're gonna get ready to wrap it up in a minute. If I had one last Star Wars question, it'd probably be about, uh, uh can you tell me about your hand with the santecas <laughs> because and, I, and i'm speaking not not really just in uh in the in the current book but but also uh in the in the poe in the poe comic um lord santeca was a was a pretty big deal um was that something that was kind of like pre i don't know pre-written or um or was it something that you that you took from the film and then built from it i don't, I don't really know the the order that that came in sure I, I, I think Lorsantec is awesome. And, and I think he was kind of, no, not a throwaway character. He was important, but he's yeah. one of those characters in Star Wars, very much like Boba Fett or whatever, where you, you realize that there's so much, he's given almost nothing, but the things he does say imply this deep connection to other stories. Like, right, why right. is he the one person who knows where Luke Skywalker is in the whole galaxy? Why is he the guy? <laughs> right. What does that mean? Does he know Luke? What, you know, whatever. And um, what does it mean to be an explorer of the part of the church of the force? You know, he's not force sensitive, but he knows a lot about it. And he is somebody who like those people we saw in Jedi, you know, like they're in Rogue One. Like there is, there are people who believe in and study the force in a way that is like different than the Jedi and force users do. So I just thought the ability to tell stories around a guy like that was, was huge. And so I wanted to put him in, Dameron because I just liked him and I thought there was a lot to be done and it was mm-hmm. tricky at first, but I got there um, just in terms of getting sort of approval to use him and things like that, because there was a, for a little while, there was a sense he might be popping up somewhere else, but mm-hmm. then he didn't, it was all fine. Yeah. Um, and then in light of the Jedi, you meet light of the Jedi is set 200 years before the Phantom Menace. So mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, the, the great, great, great grandparents of the people that we see in, in the star Wars, certainly the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Laura Santeca wasn't born yet, but I thought, you know, the idea that his family might be deeply connected to the idea of exploring the galaxy was compelling. It would make a lot of sense. And so, uh, one of the ways that we wanted to distinguish the high Republic era from, from later eras is to suggest that, uh, hyperspace is not as settled, uh, and it's not as mapped. And so there are, you don't, people don't know how to get from place to place as easily or quickly. And sometimes it's dangerous. And sometimes you just kind of go off and spinning off into nowhere. Um, and the people who, who work to make hyperspace safer are basically hyperspace prospectors who go off and they just like find routes and they find navigation (laughs) data and they, they figure out how to do it. Um, and then they sell those at, at extraordinary profit to to people who need that. Um, And one of the most successful families who who did that in the, in the high Republic was the Santeca clan. And the Mm -hmm. idea is that they, I mean, as this is sort of a spoiler for the book, but they, they basically had a, had a savant in their family. They had a genius who, Mm -hmm. who was really, really good at it. And that's became the foundation of their wealth. Um, And so that's the story that's being told about the Santecas during the high Republic era. But you can also easily see how a family like that could generate somebody like Lor Santeca who mm-hmm. knows a lot about the galaxy and knows the secret routes and knows the pathways. Um, 
and and even to the extent that he might know where Luke Skywalker is, where Octo right. is. Right. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I think I mean honestly, like stuff like that. Um, attention to detail, you know. Um, I, I, I in, in time, like I, I mean, we, we we've been talking about this for the, for the last hour or so, but like, yeah, I really, and, and I, I really want people who are who are listening to really understand like just spending the time thinking about like even thinking about Santeca like just sitting down and spending some time with the the few minutes you see Laura Santeca in episode um seven you know what I yeah. mean thinking about what he says who he is who he could be and then expand I, I'm a huge fan of pulling on threads like uh yeah like yeah. you know like oh let's 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 kind of pull on this little aspect of who this person might be um and, and I think people can do mm-hmm. that in their own writing with their own character like if you establish your own even, even if it's not a Star Wars character I, I feel like um if you establish a character you know you want them to be like I don't know uh this is their architect or or a or, or archaeologist. I mean, this is good to as funner. <laughs> so let's so say they're 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 an archaeologist. You know, it's kind of like, well, why why do they get into archaeology? You know, why why is their passion for you know, well, what's what's involved in that history? Um, and, and you go down their family line with their parents archaeologists, but you know, you just kind of like use this like you pull on these little threads, and I feel like you can create these really robust stories with really robust characters if you just spend the time with them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I absolutely yeah. do. I mean, I. You know, the, Star Wars is is an embarrassment of riches, and like, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. And I, I think, you know, I like I like the idea of, um, you know, using the tools that I have. You know, I like making up my own characters. Obviously, you've seen that, but I mm-hmm. I also like, you know, just the whole thing. It's just fun. You know, no matter how you uh, how you do it, it's just a great time. So you yeah, know, I dig it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um. I guess we're we're gonna go ahead and get ready to wrap this up. Um, I, again, uh, excellent conversation. I love talking about writing. Definitely love talking about Star Wars too. So like we can do them both at the same time. That's always fun. Um, <laughs> so uh, can you tell people before you go? Uh, any 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 last any last words you want to say about about writing? Um, you want to give to people who are either newer or trying to figure it out or or whatnot. Um, and then um, of course where people can find you and your work online. Um, well, I don't know. I, I think, you know, read a lot and write a lot. Like you, you, every piece of writing you do is important to becoming a better writer. So write, write short stories, write short paragraphs, write all the time. And, and if you don't have a reason to write, set yourself a reason to write. Like be like, today I'm going to write a story about somebody asking somebody on a date. Today I'm going to write a story about the rain. Today I'm going to write a story that centers around the color blue. And you just do those things. And eventually you know, it's very much like learning to draw. Like my friends who 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 are extraordinary artists tell me that it's not about um, being naturally gifted, really. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's also, it's really just about drawing the same things a billion times so you just know how to do it. Like, you know how mm-hmm. to draw a bottle, you know how to draw a guitar, you know how to draw a castle because you've just drawn a trillion of them and you've done it with <laughs> reference and you've just, you've drawn, you've drawn 50 bad ones and then you can start drawing a good one. And mm-hmm. writing is the same way. And, and so if you start writing these stories that sharpen your, your authorial voice, um, eventually when it comes time to write something longer or more significant, you kind of know how to write a scene that involves um, someone asking someone else um, out on a date in the rain uh, involving, you know, a blue raincoat uh, because you know how to do all those things already. Mm-hmm. So like just, write all the time always be writing things always be thinking about things mm-hmm. and if you're not writing probably be reading um yeah. that's what i said 
Um, yeah. And as far as where to find me, I am extremely active on Twitter, probably to my detriment. But <laughs> you can find me at uh, just Twitter, Charles Soul. Um, I also have a website, uh, charlessoul.com, where I have, a, there's tons of stuff on there. There's, there's like, you know, lots of information about things that I'm doing and have been working on, essays, all kinds of stuff. There's a, there's a very cool shop uh, where you can buy various like signed stuff for me or all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, used to have my appearances calendar until I'm no longer appearing. I'm currently and always appearing at my house. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that, so I'd say go to charlesoul.com. And then while you're there, you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, which is a lot of fun too. I have a lot of kind of fun, exclusive things that I give away for newsletter subscribers or give kind of early access to that. Um, so, you know, whether like I, I, I sold a bunch of copies of signed copies of Light of the Jedi off, off the, to the newsletter subscribers and they went really fast, which was fun. Nice. Um, so, so those would really probably be the, the main ways. I'm on Instagram as well, but I, you know, I'm not Instagramming my life that much. There's not that many things to Instagram. <laughs> Mostly typing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instagram. I've, I've never, I've never been big on Instagram. I've, I've got to, I'm trying. <laughs> Um, it's fine. It's, I mean, it's, it's just all these social medias. It's just the main thing about social media is make sure it's working for you. You're not working for it. You know, exactly. 100%. Absolutely agree. Um, but, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, of, of course you guys can always find me um, online at fourth wall. That's I V W A L L. Uh, look at the podcast on all your major part. Uh, yeah. Slipped over my words. Podcast providers, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, uh, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's all the time we've got for this episode. Thanks again, Charles. Well, it was a huge pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we'll catch you guys next time.